Welcome to the Dr. Lori Morris podcast, where she interviews experts in health and science, sharing their expertise so you can live your healthiest life. This episode of the podcast is proudly sponsored by Fit Vegan Coaching, the world's leading whole food plant-based body recomposition program for Gen X and baby boomers. Founded by Maxime, whose personal journey began after losing his ex-fiance to breast cancer, Fit Vegan Coaching is on a mission to disease-proof the world through the transformative power of plant-based eating and fitness. This program is the Rolls Royce of plant-based coaching, offering all-inclusive services, personalized plans, world-class accountability, lifelong support, and more. Say goodbye to the yo-yo dieting and embrace a lasting transformation that will rev up your metabolism even post-transformation. Ready to take charge of your health and vitality? Head over to fitvegan.ca, that's fitvegan.ca, and mention Dr. Lori for exclusive bonus savings when you sign up. Don't miss this opportunity to join the movement towards a healthier, fitter, and more vibrant you. This episode of the podcast is proudly sponsored by The Healing Kitchen, your path to vibrant health. Immerse yourself in the transformative program, guided by the combined expertise of myself, Dr. Lori Marbus, and Chef Brittany Giroudi, who has lost 70 pounds on a whole food plant-based diet. Here's what's in store for you. Virtual weekly sessions. Engage in an immersive 60-minute virtual session every single week, where you'll delve into the world of wholesome plant-based goodness right from your own kitchen. Cooking with Brittany the first half hour. Unleash your inner chef as you're captivated by Chef Brittany Giroudi's culinary mastery that will delight your taste buds and nourish your body. Medical Q&A with Dr. Lori the last half hour. Prioritize your well-being during the second half hour. I will personally address your medical inquiries, providing evidence-based insights and personalized advice, empowering you to make informed choices for your health. So join us on the Healing Kitchen to help you step into a healthier and most vibrant future. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbis and I First of all, I just want to say thank you for being here, and I really want to have a big thank you for Chris Carr for joining us today. How are you two? How are you doing today? So good. I'm so happy to be with you, Lori. Uh, well, I, I will tell you, I've been a fan for a long time, and then I saw that you had the, the new book. It's um, I'm Not a Morning Person, and to be honest, I started reading it, but I was like, man, I really would be curious to see if she read the book on Audible. So I read the book on Audible and I thought that was so moving and you did such a phenomenal job. So thank you for, for doing your own voice because I think you are very powerful when you speak the book, which was really moving for me. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you. To be honest, <laughs> I have not heard it because like many people, I don't really like listening to myself. <laughs> so I just have to say thank you for sharing that. I yeah. think- yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. Yeah, your um, the emotions, the inflections, and your sense of humor really shine through. I'm assuming your sense of humor. So that was just really delightful because I think the words are fab- fabulous, but hearing you speak, it was really, really, really such a gift for me. So um, I just will start with, I mean, it's such a, a heavy um, subject for a book. How did you even get, I would find difficulty and courage in even starting it. Like, how do you even encompass this with words? It was such a vast thing to write about. Yeah, well, that's such a great question. You know, for me, I actually find a lot of joy and healing and creativity in uh, writing about difficult things, right? They're, They're... they're op- they're hard to write about difficult things in a way that is is something that people want to read and actually are drawn to read and and can get value out of. And so I like that challenge. Um, and I've written seven books, and they tend to be on you know challenging topics like cancer and vegetables. Not everybody wants to read about vegetables. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's scary to some people. And and now grief and um. But what I have found is the places that scare us, the places that we resist the most, that's where our 
opportunity for evolution and expansion lies. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like where like big living happens. And because we're afraid of some of these topics, we shy away from them. And then we miss out on these opportunities for big living. Mm. Uh, And sometimes it's really more so the fear of the concept, the fear of the pain, as opposed to the emotion itself or the experience itself. You know, it's like the fear of my perceived um, idea of what that's going to feel like. Mm. And so... I just dove into it. It was also, it was time for me to write another book and I have to write what I'm moved to explore and what's going on for me. Otherwise it's completely out of alignment and I can't gin it up. So it was like, okay, this is the topic. It's about grief and loss and the big messy emotions that happen when life falls apart and considering so many of us have gone through such a difficult time these last five years, when we think about just even the pandemic, Mm -hmm. um, it's, I know that I'm not the only one trying to walk this journey in a way that, um, is not only helpful, but healing. I like that helpful and healing. So when you say live a big life, can you expand upon that a little bit? Cause I think some people don't understand that they can live a bigger life now because they feel so weighted down by our thoughts and our perceptions and our beliefs that aren't necessarily the truth. And um, it's really hard for people to peel back enough layers to find that there is space to live a big life. Can you share what that means for you? And yeah, absolutely. So for me, you know, I've been living with stage four cancer for 21 years now, and it's that that uh, connection to my mortality. It's the reminder of my mortality that has the opportunity to put me in a shell and shut me down, or it can be a kick in the ass because life is short. No matter, even if you think you're at the, the start of it, it goes by really quickly, you know, and for many of us, myself included, I've, I probably have less days ahead of me than I do behind me, you know what I mean? I'm 52 years old. So when you get down to the just brass tacks and the numbers, then you can say, oh, I better get busy living, whatever that looks like for me. And what I would say is big life happens on the inside. It's not necessarily all of the external accomplishments and the cars and the houses and the, you know, whatever it is that can be fun to accumulate for some people. Um, It happens on the inside. And to to me, it happens when I am feeling more free. So free of the fear that might be holding me back, free of the pain that I might be carrying around from unfinished business, um, being more in flow with my energy, with my emotions, with my heart, um, because I think ultimately you can have everything in the world. And when you don't have that freedom and that, that sort of sense of self, it's like you have nothing. Um, so what if you start to look at your life and say, okay, what are some of the barriers? What are some of the key places where I am stuck or where I am feeling resistance? And what would it look like to actually not have resistance there? What would that feel like? How would that make me move through space and time? You know, and like, and and when you're able to answer that question, then I think you start to have a path forward for your, your unique opportunity for healing, you know? Oh man, at the end of the day, it's this one relationship that's really, that's really weighing on me. Okay, well, what would happen if you just poured love into that space? What would happen if that one relationship, you started to feel some freedom around, you started to feel some resolution around, right? We don't even have to have that with the other person. It's something that happens in ourselves. And so to me, thank you for asking. That's a very long-winded way of saying that's what big, a big life looks like. Mm. Pouring into what you're looking for, just giving it and it will it will magically appear in some unique and unexpected ways. Um, 
I think grief and fear. So fear is a big one. I, I can't imagine what it must be like to live with an entity or a being or however you, I don't know what you refer to it as a cancer. Um, I'm always very careful to tell my patients, you know, I, I work with a lot of patients who are type two diabetes or stuff, or they'll say, I'm anxious. So I'm like, instead of saying I am anxious, say there's an anxious feeling within me. Because <laughs> I think the more they identify this. So can we speak to the fear and how you deal with it? Is it, is it, does it come up or have you, have you made a, um, a, I don't know, made a relationship with it? Like, how do you dance with this, this constant reminder of your mortality? Cause that alone can be so fear provoking for people, just the thought of death. And then yeah. also other fears that provide all the anxiety, like fear of being abandoned or fear of whatever mm -hmm. it might be. Um, can you speak to that? Because I think that's a really powerful lesson. So many people are struggling to figure out. Yeah. You ask beautiful questions. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you said it so beautifully. It, it is a dance and it is a relationship. Um, and how I like to approach it is my, all of my emotions are information. Mm. And so if I think of them like that, then it sort of diffuses their power a little bit. Um, but then it also inspires me to get curious about them. So for example, when I found out that I had stage four cancer and then I have dozens of tumors in my liver and both of my lungs, of course I was terrified. Um, now, many years later, I have built that relationship and it started with curiosity. Well, okay, let's talk about this from a practical standpoint. I don't really even know what my liver and lungs do. So maybe I could actually <laughs> educate myself a little bit. And then through that process of getting curious and educating myself, I would then say, okay, well, what helps you? What, what are things that I can do that actually help these organs uh, so I can contribute to my well-being? So I don't feel like I'm just like on the sidelines waiting for a doctor to do this or a cure to, you know, a, finally a breakthrough cure to happen. Like, how can I participate in this thing called my life? Mm -hmm. um, and that was the path for me, continues to be the path for me from a wellness perspective, but it's the same thing with our mental health, mm. right? So if I can say my emotions are information, if I can get curious about them, I can learn a bit about them, then I don't vilify them or vilify myself because I feel shame, because I feel rage, because I feel all of these things that are there for a reason. It's like getting mad at your kid because they want to use all of the Crayolas in the box. It's like, no, blue only, brown, bad. You know, it's like, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> so uh. it's like, we got Crayolas in the box. Let's learn how to use them. Let's learn more about them. Um, and so when it comes to fear, you know, I often will say, invite your fear to tea. Mm. When I'm in fear or anxiety, chances are I'm ruminating, I am future tripping, I am, you know, freaking out about this, that, and the other thing that may or may not happen. Mm. And if I can understand that and bring myself back to this moment, oftentimes I'll do it through humor because that'll crack through for me. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. my medicine. I'll make myself laugh or I'll say something absolutely ridiculous or so morbid that nobody should ever hear it, but you laugh so hard. Do you know what I mean? You're just like, that is offensive and so freaking funny. And that brings me back to the present, even just that release of laughter of, you know, even being able to poke fun at some of the, the stories that I come up with. Um, and another thing that can happen. So what, what am I doing there? I'm like stopping the pattern. I'm stopping, like you ever, ha I don't know if you have a dog or if you've ever had a dog. Easy. And she just had her ACL, she had a TPLO last Tuesday. So your dog um, story when he passed, you know, it just, we're a big dog fan. It's my fourth child. 
<laughs> so oh. she literally um, is just looking and we have to have her caged and confined so she doesn't use her leg. And she just will sit there and look at me like, I'm really here. Can you come and help? Like I'm hanging out with you most of the day. What's going on? So yes, I appreciate yeah. that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. So you know, but you know yeah. when your dog is licking a hot spot, Mm. you know, and that's fear, that's anxiety, that's that thing. And sometimes what do we do? We throw a tennis ball, you know, or we give them a cookie. We have to break the pattern. Mm -hmm. The same is true for our, our, our minds. And so for me, it might be through humor could be through, I don't like lifting weights, but I turned 52 and everybody says you're supposed to be strong now. Right. (laughs) And so I have this amazing video that I do, you know, like, thank goodness that we can join gyms that are online now or join fitness programs online. And it's like 10 minutes, maybe 25 minutes if I'm ambitious and I lift my weights with David P. So I am peeling two carrots with one peeler, right? I don't kill birds. I'm a vegan. Um, You know that saying, (laughs) birds with one stone, like who came up with that? My point, uh, yes. again, yes, is that I'm disrupting the pattern. Mm-hmm. And I think that these are the tools that we can start to put in our toolbox because we're going to be afraid. We're going to be anxious. Even just calling out, oh, this is what I'm feeling. This is my brain on fear. This is my brain on anxiety. These are some of the things that I can do to change the channel to come back to this present moment. And you can come up with your menu. I have a lot in the book. And those are two things that I, that, you know, I'll do, mm. uh, as we, so, as you so beautifully said, develop this dance with these emotions. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think that's really beautiful. It reminds me of, so I've always been a fan of Tony Robbins and there was a time, I can't remember where I heard it, but he would, or maybe he told someone like he had a rubber band or maybe he's trying to quit the habit of chewing his finger. And I was like, here, I remember exactly, but he wore a rubber band and he pop it to like break whatever this pattern was or the obsessive thought. And it really was just bringing him back to the present moment, which we had spoken to a little bit earlier. So I feel like that's kind of what you're doing is like, you're aware of like, hmm, that is not, it's just a thought. It's not who you are. You're not going to identify, but you're dancing with it. So I think that's powerful, but I really wanted to highlight one of the things you mentioned was a future tripping. (laughs) That was so great. Some of the things that you say in the book, I like the lizards and the, the smell, the <laughs> lizards. And I'm like cracking up. But anyway, um, your humor is right down my alley. I'm telling you. Um, and your therapist, if I'm sure I would be her best friend. Like, amazing. Anyway, can we talk about future tripping? Because I think that's really gets people worked up and anxious because they're projecting into a future that hasn't necessarily happened yet but can we speak to that a little bit because I it's really hard for people to break that at least in my experience yes let me tell you some some um places that my mind goes and I think I wrote about this in the book and this is actually a true story but it is hilarious when I realized just how wild my brain can be So you're just in the kitchen and you're washing dishes, right? You have no idea, you know, you're just in that moment, but all of a sudden your mind starts to go to places. And let's say you're living with anxious, you're anxious about if if you're a patient, you're anxious about some tests that are coming up. Um, And you're not even aware of what's happening right now, by the way, you're just washing the dishes. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're Deborah Winger in terms of endearment. And you're saying Mm -hmm. goodbye to your children that you don't even have, Mm -hmm. right? Your mind goes to those places or, you know, my, (laughs) this literally happened when I started to think about dying before my husband. And what if, you know, he's going to be so lonely and I love him so much and I want him to go out and I'm washing dishes. I want him to go out and date again, but not a younger woman, Oh, and now in my mind, Brian is dating a much younger woman and she's hot and all of the things. And now I'm jealous and now I'm pissed off. I'm still washing the damn dishes. And then later on, when he asks me where his glasses are and if I've seen his glasses, I say, I don't know. Why don't you consult your child bride? Right? 
So my point is that I am not the only person with wild ferrets running through their brains. That's future tripping. That's us going down a death spiral of fear and storytelling. And we can, and we can grab ourselves and in that moment, even like laugh or share it with my new friend. Like you'll never guess what happened, Lori. I'm sitting here having, washing dishes and look at what I just did. Oh my goodness. I'm dying. I'm laughing. Okay. And then just the wild ferrets. I think that's really (laughs) what goes on. If you think of your, as your thought streams, as little wild ferrets running around, bouncing off, you see those videos and they're bouncing off things and people and um, yeah, and then one gets really your attention. You start going in a, a, a deeper, darker, and then your poor people around you until you return from your trip and come back to planet Earth in this moment. Um, exactly. Oh, oh and then, you, but you can say to yourself, like, okay, like, let's do some forensics on this. Yeah. Has he ever had a child bride that you know of? <laughs> no. Okay. Like, is this? this is such a great therapist line. Is this a fact or is this a feeling? Mm. Right. Has this ever happened? Have you ever been that out of control? Have you Mm. ever been at a play and decided to just run on the stage and stop the action? Right. Have you ever been in an audience where you actually thought, is there a chance that I might run on stage and like mess this whole thing up? I have. But the chances are that you're never going to do that. Have you ever done it in the past? No. Okay. So we start to like do some forensics on the reality of some of these thoughts actually materializing and and blossoming into the hellscape that your mind creates. More often than not, it's not going to happen. What's fun (laughs) about you, it sounds like you've really cultivated a very amazing skill set of turning these opportunities of observing these thought stories or streams or movies or whatever they play in your head and laughing at them because (laughs) that's kind of what you need to do in order to not engage with them other than thank you for the entertainment. (laughs) That was brilliant. Oh my goodness gracious. Um, Yes, absolutely. And get back to your book um it says i'm not a morning person what an amazing title and i did hear you speak in one of your videos about how the title came to you could you speak to that a little bit yeah you know coming up with the title for a book is a lot of pressure and most of the titles that i came up with were awful but for real, not just me telling myself they're awful. Like literally my editor saying that's awful. Keep going. Um, And it wasn't until like the 11th hour where they were like, dude, we have to have something to, to, you know, tell the buyers. And it's, it's really when I went and I started, cause I was so blocked. I went and I started to watch stand up, which is one of the things that I love to do as like a, stress reliever or a way to recharge my own creativity. And, and, um, for whatever reason I was watching stand up and it came right. It's a, it's, it's a testament to sometimes when we're pushing so hard for the solution, it could be that we needed to go for a walk or we needed, you know, to take the day off or we needed to just like be under the shower thinking about something else or gardening. And then, It's like the creative spirit comes through, right? But not when we're choking it and forcing it. And and I thought, hey, this is a really funny, I like this title. And and I said to my editor, what do you think about this? And she said, it's either the dumbest thing I've ever heard or it's brilliant, I can't tell yet. And I was like, I'm onto something. That's exactly the kind of response I want. And so, um, but when I went a little deeper, it, it really made sense to me because- I didn't think I was a morning person. It was the one emotion that I wanted to avoid. I mean, I could, I can talk about being curious about your emotions and seeing them and it's information. But when I started this journey four or five years ago of really doing this deep work, I would, I had a blind spot for sure. Mm. It's the place I didn't want to go. And I think like we talked about at the top of this beautiful interview it's a place that many of us don't want to go. Um, and yet our freedom lies in these places. So 
it all came together and that's what the the title ended up being mm. yeah I think throughout your book you you really spell it out beautifully because you're touching in different ways how people can relate to you and your different stories and the humor and I think the one that I think a lot of people can appreciate is people trying to give you and I do love thank you so much for helping people how to interact with someone who's had a very tragic loss and you're not you're at a loss as a person how to interact but mm-hmm. you know just be present with them <clears throat> but the story about you crying over the insurer, um, I think spoke volumes to so many people who are literally just feeling like they're just hanging onto the edge of a cliff and afraid to let go because they're not sure what's going to happen when they literally land. <laughs> if they ever do, maybe it's the fear of never landing. Um, how, how do you take the story of your dad your dad's death and even begin to put word on paper like how does that creative process evolve or even start like do you just write for so many hours a day and these things just come out and then or like how do you do that it's such a it's such a fascinating thing to see on the other end (laughs) Uh, prayer scotch um (laughs) let's see (laughs) you know I am blessed because my publishers really let me find the book. Mm. Um, Usually my books start with an outline. And from there, I I know what I'm building. I know what I'm going to create. This one, I was like flying the plane and building the plane at the same time, which is a little intimidating. But um, many versions of the outline and then just starting to write and sort of feel like, okay, does this really fit in here? And then a lot of index cards. Like, so my editor and I would build the book with index cards. And then as we would just walk around my living room with all of these cards on the floor, chapter by chapter and all the stories and, you know, lessons under, you know, with, within the chapter, and we would just stare at them like a current, a forensics crime scene and say like, does this fit here? Does that fit there? Mm-hmm. And, and then that's when it, the book starts to come together and you can start to see what isn't going to make it in because it's just one book. Mm-hmm. Um, and you find, you could write about all of these different things, but I think yeah. the the key is, is that this is a book for people to find comfort and solace and joy and possibilities in when life has kicked them in the teeth, when the rug has been pulled out from under you, when you think that you're never going to be the same and you probably won't be. Um, but you're like, now what do I do? How do I pick up the pieces of my life and move forward? And what I'm saying is you can not only move forward, um, but you can thrive. Mm -hmm. And we just have to understand some of the basics. Um, And so each chapter tackles a a topic or an emotion that we're likely to experience when we get kicked in the teeth from rage to grief to past traumas that come up. So you mentioned my therapist, she had a great saying, she said to me, you know, when the grief train pulls into the station, it brings all the cars, it brings stuff that you think you're over it brings other big messy emotions um, and you're not necessarily prepared for that. It's part of the reason why we don't think we're going to make it through, you know, in, in grief literature, you often hear the metaphor of like the waves, the waves of grief that pass in and out and in and out. But when you're on the the side of being the griever, um, it feels like a tidal wave and it's going to drown you if you let it. And that's how I felt. And so I realized in that story that you mentioned in in the CBS parking lot, when I finally let myself really break down and cry that after that experience of letting that energy out, because that's really what it was, just trapped energy. um, I felt a little bit better. And then I thought, gosh, where are these other places in my life that I've been pushing this energy down or hustling it away with overwork or, you know, any of the addictions that's so easy for many of us to turn to when we don't want to feel. Um, 
And that was my first flashlight, my breadcrumb that allowed me, first and foremost, Chris, to go on this journey. And then second, as the writer. Mm. So it's like you had a flashlight in the fog and you were illuminating. It's getting brighter and brighter. Reminds me of a story I went on. We lived in Florida for a period of time and we went snorkeling in the Florida Keys in December. And it was my husband, my kids, and they're adults. And uh, we, there was pretty choppy waters. And I'm pretty calm, pretty good swimmer, but it was choppier. And as we got in, I got, mm -hmm. I had this overwhelming urge, like, like serious anxiety. And then the moment that I was like, Lori, let's, there's calm beneath the storm, right? So I put my head in, it was such a different world. And you come back up and I'd come back up and I'd see the waves and I'd feel the path, the, like, the stuff, like, well, Lori, you're okay, just go deeper. So I feel like that's kind of with grief, like you say, the waves, it's really choppy if you stay on the surface, but if you just let mm. them and go deeper, that will really allow you to see the beauty that can lie underneath that. And so I think that's the nice thing about Love what that. you're writing. Yeah, it just really, it really hit me because I'm telling you, there were, with my own emotions, listening to you tell me about this in this book, there were, I felt, I felt your rage. I felt your, your sadness and your joy and your uh, peace. And so it was so fun to go on this journey with you in the book. And um I think another one that people are really frightened to to deal with when it comes up because they don't maybe understand or maybe they see it in others and they respond to it, which just fuels it is anger. And you're stepping outside the restaurant and the guy and the guy, these drunk guys. Could you talk a little bit about that and how <laughs> how do you <laughs> I love I love these stories? So um it's it's probably because I have many myself. So anyway, I can relate to you in that sense. Um, but anyway, could you share a little bit about the anger piece? Because I think people are surprised that there's anger with grief um, and they don't understand it. Yeah. I mean, I think there's anger with life and we don't understand it, mm. you know, especially as women. Yeah. Um, the chapter is called Becoming Unbecoming. Mm -hmm. And I that remember- Cartoli. You started with that Cartoli. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. my, my grandmother- used to say, oh, my grandmother was Colombian and she used to say, Christian, that is an unbecoming emotion. You know, <laughs> like tears are unbecoming, anger is unbecoming, like suck it up, buttercup, you know? And well-intentioned and came from a different time. But the truth is, is that throughout space and time, I think we've said to ourselves and our well-meaning domesticators have taught us what's appropriate, what is inappropriate, you know? And so we put ourselves in these little boxes, especially as women, our, our boxes as women are even smaller. And so, um, you know, as a result, you try to tell your anger, like, no, that's unbecoming, darling, clean it up around the edges. Now, if you're me, then it's not going to go well. Um, and so, <laughs> So the chapter is the exploration of this energy and this emotion so that, again, we can get to understand it a little bit more. And the more research that I did, the more I familiarized myself with how anger works and really started to explore how it's often referred to as a signaling emotion. Mm -hmm. And for me, anger says, ow, there's something wrong here. You know, this is, there's an injustice. There's, there's, there's something I need to stand up for. There's something, you know, I've been wronged. This is wrong. What's happening? You know, red alert, danger, you know, anger is there to be like, yo, something's up. Something's going on here. I need you to pay attention. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that we have our anger, like our anger should just, you know, run amok and shit all over the, the living room. Right. But my point is, is that it's not something for us to get so down on ourselves about. It's really there to protect us. And I went through this experience where I was, again, pushing a lot of stuff down like many of us do. And I had a couple of moments in this chapter where 
um, I really kind of let it out. Um, and one was an implosion and one was an explosion. Mm-hmm. And it was the explosion that you're referencing. Yeah. And um, basically a bunch of drunk guys. You know, I was out to dinner for my birthday with my parents and I was trying to celebrate all of the milestone occasions, making every single one of them better than the next and putting a lot of pressure on myself, to be honest. And I think sometimes anger can also be a a pressure valve release. And so I was putting all this pressure on myself because what if this is my last birthday with him? And I, I was doing it more for him than I was even for myself. And we're at this restaurant and, um, we come out of the restaurant, we're getting our car and these three drunk guys come up and basically pile into my car, our car. Like it's an Uber It's my parents' minivan and, uh, they won't get out of the car. And one, you know, starts to harass me and put his hands on me and Lori didn't go well for him, you know, didn't go well. (laughs) And I wrote about it. And I wrote about the rawness of it and what actually came out of my mouth as he, you know, was harassing me and, and, and security came and, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, this is the perfect moment for like a fan to come up and be like, what, you know, how is that Chris Carr? You know. Probably would have stepped in front and helped you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Oh my goodness. But the thing that I think was really powerful for me personally is one is I kept writing that chapter. That chapter took me the most work and time. And my editor kept saying, no, not enough. Go further, go deeper. Your, your reaction isn't strong enough. Like I know the story, you're not writing it the way it happened. Like, so what? Keep going. Mm -hmm. And I was so intimidated. I was so nervous about sharing with the amount of vulnerability and transparency that I put into that chapter. Um, But also while I was living that experience the next day, what was startling for me was the amount of shame that I felt. Right. And as if it was all my fault and as if like, you know, I had messed up the night and how could I not have control of my emotions how could I have let this happen? Yeah, just a waves and waves of shame. And then I thought, oh my goodness, this is this is the this is the human experience, right? Mm. And then how do we come back and soothe ourselves so that we don't stay paralyzed in these very painful places? You know, part of the shame that I felt was having this belief or this thought, like, here are these three jackasses to get to go through life Mm -hmm. and after harassing me and my family and this incredible human being is lucky if he'll have like another year left Mm -hmm. right and so so we write about that and we try to experience it and try to understand it and then try to let I mean, hopefully people know that these are normal places to go and normal experiences and emotions to have. It doesn't make them easy, but it means you're human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that's the piece here to understand is that we're human and we can't, we put either our own expectations or have external expectations and um, I think the hardest are the ones that we put on ourselves because nobody else would have those expectations of us, I think, um, at least in my own experience. But as far as how people have reached out to you about the book, I'm sure there's been others who reached out to you and said, wow, this had such an impact. Is there any that resonate with you and that you'd like to share, like how that story is impacted? Because I really feel um, cause I wasn't, I had not even been going through mourning in this particular period that I'm listening to, but I mean, I can reflect them back in my life, but I'm sure others that you're hitting them in a, in a space and time that they needed you in this book. Has anyone reached out and shared a particular moving story with you? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people in my community and, and it's lovely to be able to 
get DMs from people and and even see reviews, which I oftentimes don't look at, but I have with this book because I want to see how it's resonating with people. And I think that, you know, overall, the the experience has been you articulated what I was feeling, mm. you know, and or I was able to touch on these emotions and, and this material because of the stories that you shared and that you were willing to share them and be as transparent as you were. Um, I didn't know anybody else ever felt that way. Mm. And it's making me feel like there's nothing wrong with me. And so I would say that those are the primary um, universal experiences that I think any of us can can benefit from when, you know, we're more truthful. Because I, I, I often think about, you know, you've probably read a lot about this, especially as a therapist, you know, we're going through an epidemic of loneliness. Mm-hmm. And what is the thing that creates loneliness, separation, isolation, feeling other, feeling like I don't fit in, you know? And I think that I feel that way more when I'm not being truthful about who I am and what I feel, when I'm trying to put on a facade or spiff up, you know, like polish myself up so I'll fit into the world, you know, present myself a certain way so that, you know, I'll blend Right. And I, I feel so lonely when I do things like that because mm. that's not me mm-hmm. and it's not any of us really. But when we are then brave enough to share the truth of who we actually are, what we are feeling, what we are experiencing, whether it's something that's difficult or something that's really great. The other side could be that we're afraid to share good things that are happening in our life because we don't want other people to feel bad. Mm. Right. So we dim our light Mm. and we create more and more separation and isolation as a result of that Mm. true connection. And, you know, a sense of belonging, I think, comes from me showing up and saying, Lori, this is who I am. I would love to know who you are. Let's be ourselves together and have a gas. (laughs) I'm sure there would be plenty. Um, (laughs) It's funny that you speak that because I think as a as a physician, <clears throat> there's such a, a very yeah. strict and rigid way you go through medical school, you go through residency, it's like you have the answers, your prescription pads is what you do. And um, I think where I really struggled with that was relating to my patients. So the more that I shared stories and my own, be it or other patients, you know, of course, with keeping anonymity very high, of them. <laughs> keeping sure that my patient's identity was well, but the story element of it anyway, that's really where I found the most powerful connection with others and building this rapport and trust and community. Can you speak to the community piece? Because <clears throat> I know you have your community, if you could speak to that and, or maybe what prompted you to even build that. But community is such an important piece, those relationships, because we do isolate ourselves. How does someone begin to open themselves to being vulnerable in in creating really um, timeless relationships where you feel heard and listened and and it's trusting and loving? How do you start that process um, or in your own experience or in your own uh, community, maybe others have spoken to that. Yeah. Let me go back and say that I, you are a physician and, and, and I mentioned that you're a therapist and you I know you're a physician, no, it's all good. but I think that you listen to your patients. In a way. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying you're both. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Oh no. I sometimes think I should have gone into psychotherapy or something. <laughs> oh, For sure. Oh my goodness. Thank well, you. That's a, that's a compliment. <laughs> well, it, it, I think it's the core of actually, um, of really actually having those valuable relationships. And it's interesting because I remember when I was looking for my doctor and, you know, the first doctor that I, I spoke to suggested a triple organ transplant. And I didn't know anything about medicine, but I was like, it doesn't sound like a good idea. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. 
And then the next one gave me 10 years to live and I have a very rare disease. And um, sometimes it can be aggressive. Sometimes it can be slow. Sometimes it can change. And so I'm just on a watch and wait, let cancer make the first move um, plan, which I have been for 21 years now. And um, what I found to be so powerful about saying, I am going to be the CEO of my health. You know, I'm going to build a team, hire, fire. I'm going to look for my second in command, but ultimately I'm in charge. Mm. Um, with respect and saying, oh yeah, you've been to school. I haven't, right? But I'm the person that has to live in this life and and in this body. And mm. so I have to be the one who says, this feels good, this doesn't. Finding my doctor eventually, the biggest reason why I said yes to something which seems so outrageous to me, you just want to do nothing? Like, what the heck are you talking about? But finding him and saying yes to that non-treatment plan, um, it was because of the relationship that I felt immediately. Mm. It was because of his bedside manner. It was because he listened and was willing to hear what was on my heart and what I was struggling with, or even some of the things that I was researching, which of course inside he was probably like, that is nuts. What, where did you pick that? What pamphlet at what health food store did you pick up that nonsense idea? Oh, you know what I mean? But he never <laughs> made me feel like it was a nonsense idea. Right, right. And so yeah. we developed a relationship. Um, you know, and then we're like going to Bruce Springsteen concert, dancing and stepping in on each other's toes. Right. So it's, we've known each other a very long time now. And I think that to answer your question about community, it is about finding those people that are willing to listen and are willing to, um, build true relation together. We can't do this thing called life or wellness alone. I think that we're, we're pack animals. We need each other. And, um, even when we're going through really difficult times, we have, we still have an opportunity to connect, but I think I'll just say one more thing uh, about that is when we're going through difficult times, it's easy to isolate because you don't want to be a burden or you, maybe you don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to ask for too much or maybe your person is going through a difficult time and you're afraid to get it wrong. So you don't do anything. Right. And what I'm suggesting is certainly in parts of the book is you, we don't have to have the answers and it's not our job to fix things. Mm -hmm. It's really not our job to fix things. It's our job to show up to the best of our ability. And I think that takes the pressure off of saying like, I actually don't know what to say. I'm going to tell you that but I know how to listen and, and to be here with you. And, and, and I have to say that's the most beautiful medicine that I have found is actually being with somebody who's willing to see and sit and hear and listen, whether it's a doctor or somebody who's really close to me in my inner circle. Yeah. Allowing space um, for that person just to be in share um if they if they choose to um i think that's a very powerful thing to do when it's obviously strikes me that you are a very good listener and very because you've had to give yourself space and you just probably i'm assuming carry these skills set in with your relationships um when people are listening for example um I know in the beginning, like, for example, when I came out of residency and you're your first day of attending, you're like, oh, boy, there's no one to back me up. You know, you have your your comrades and your colleagues. And, <laughs> you know, my my daughter's entering her last six months of family medicine residency. And she's like, mom, I'm really scared. It's like, I got your back, kid. I'll be there if you have someone, but you're going to be fine. You're way smarter <laughs> than I ever was. And, um, you know, I think there was always this process that I, I noticed early on is that when patients would be describing a situation or a problem, like going through, okay, what's my answer? What's going to be, you know, like these thoughts is like, and then the, the terror of like, am I going to prescribe the wrong medicine or not? Or am I going to miss something like, <laughs> and uh, so I think that comes along with maybe a little less stressful in that sense with friendships or your partners. And, <clears throat> and certainly 
those closest to you is that you're always thinking like, what is the next thing I'm going to say? How do you quiet your mind um, to give space for listening? Because I think it would be a natural human response is to react for whatever reason, trying to fix something, trying to alleviate stress, trying to, you know, give them calm. You want to like, you want to take it on yourself. How do you provide that space in your own mind? Because that can be challenging in and of itself. Yeah, that's a beautiful question. You know, I used to have that experience too. So I have given a lot of talks over the years and I've been doing this for 20 years now. And so there have been plenty of Q and A's where there's thousands of people in the audience. And then that question comes up and I'm like, either racing ahead, coming up with whatever my answer is going to be, you know, to wow the person, but also wow the 2000 people that are sitting there in the audience so that they actually don't think I'm a fraud. Right. And (laughs) so there's that moment. Then there's also the moment where the question gets answered and you're like, I have no fucking idea what I'm going to say. How to help this person. You know what I mean? But there's a lot of people hanging on pins and needles. What the (laughs) heck is this girl going to say? Right. And so I think ultimately what I have tried to do and come to use as a muscle is to just get out of the way Mm. and to actually, if I can give my full presence and listen to what's being said, but also what's not being said. Mm. And even say, what do you think? Mm. You know, in those moments where I think I have to fix something for someone, you know, they they spent $20 on a ticket. They have to get this thing fixed. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I can say, well, what, what does your intuition say? Let's, mm. let's work. Let's start there. Mm. Um, or I can get out of the way enough to say, to just speak through my heart. Because usually my heart has way better answers than this noggin. Mm. Um, But I can't activate any of that wisdom if I'm chattering away like a a parrot on the inside. Do this, do you want? You know, I was just kind of sitting there and being with the person. (laughs) Activate the parrot. Oh, that's fun. So, yeah, I like that. Activate your wisdom. Because <clears throat> I think we all have that internal wisdom if we just allow it. People are <clears throat> so much more powerful than they understand that they are. Um, that's really beautiful. I think there's also strength in, like you mentioned, the space. Um, because that allows you time to see what evolves in that moment for that person. Um, yeah, I think that's fantastic. So, you know, and I, I, like I said, I want to be very thoughtful of your time. So this has been amazing. Um, is there final lessons that one, either you learned through the process of writing this book or that you would hope someone would see that you either changed or evolved as a person yourself? Like, how was this process? Because I would think this would be, you, you speak cathartic in here often, like the crying and the thing. How did the writing of this type of book bring change into you? Like, how did, how did, how did Chris Carr change from where she was when she started to the Chris Carr on the other end? Mm, still, still evolving. Um, yeah. you know, there's a quote that I'll paraphrase and it's by Carl Jung. And he talks about how we orbit through the same themes throughout our life. And with each passing orbit, we find a new layer of meaning. And for me, it's that orbit that is the mechanism of our healing, of our growth, of our expansion. And so when we're tough on ourselves and say, oh, here I am again, haven't I learned this already? Haven't I, you know figured this piece out. It's like, oh, this is me orbiting. And each time I orbit, it's going to be a little easier. I'm going to grow a little more. I'm going to learn more about myself first and foremost. And hopefully I'll come at it from this perspective of tending to myself, heart tending, as opposed to criticizing 
um, because we're going to have the rug pulled out from under us and it's not going to be roses all the time. And we as humans, I think oftentimes we want the rainbow, but we say, hold the rain mm. and it's not how it works. And so if we can become a little more resilient and understand that there's nothing flawed, this is orbit. Um, then I, I think we get through this life a little easier because we're not going to get through it like scratch free and stay in resistance. It's just not how it's designed. <laughs> okay. That's what I'm talking about. Like those little quotes, like they just, they're just so perfectly like formed and so appropriate and just catch you off guard and bring you back to like, yes, that's exactly right. Oh my goodness. Thank ay, you. ay, ay. That's Thank you. Um, man. Um, there was a Portia Nelson. Are you familiar with the autobiography in five chapters? Have you heard that? That's, yes. that's a whole other book. So that kind of reminds you that orbit that you speak of, right? She speaks of, she's basically walking down the sidewalk and she falls into a hole and she's surprised. It caught her off guard and she climbs out finally and she walks down the next side. <laughs> There's a hole and she falls in again. She was like, I've been here before. <laughs> and eventually as she continues to fall through the hole and she circumvents the hole and then suddenly she says you know I'm going down another street <laughs> so <laughs> I think there's that it's kind of that similar situation until we allow ourselves to learn and expose oh okay now I get it there's a hole and I can choose to either fall in the <laughs> hole knowing what's on the other end or I can choose to can just go down another sidewalk <laughs> and so I think that's that's really a powerful <laughs> that's one of my favorite uh poems there's another one about um children they were they start as um you know puppies and that they're lovable and they just want to be around you and then they turn into cats and you're like I thought I was raising a puppy but now what am I doing and it instills fear in you and inks and and then they turn back to puppies and it's kind of that you know just it's really <laughs> fun to see how people put in in words their journey which I think is so <clears throat> powerful what you've done here and um yeah and I I just want to thank you so much for um sharing your stories with us because I think there's so much more ripples of healing that you have no idea that you're going to be instilling because I've been recommending this book to others and I'm oh. sure they will be others too so thank you for all your work that you've done with that thank you I appreciate that I really do it's it's a joy it's I always feel like the creative process, and this is for each and every one of us, because I think sometimes we think, oh, I'm not creative. I couldn't write a book or I couldn't do whatever it is that you think is creative. But to survive is an act of creativity. Mm. And it, it is also, I think, this place where we can get such solace and such recharge, whatever that looks like for you. Um, when you and I were talking at before we started to record, you were asking me like, what's one thing that, you know, has come up for you a lot, maybe even in interviews. And, and I, I want to, to, to leave you with it, which is, it was some really beautiful wisdom that my dad gave me. And as his life was drawing to an end, those wisdom bombs were dropping more and more, you know, trying to like squeeze it all in. Let me get some more dad wisdom in. And one of the things that he said was sometimes the golden years are for shit. And I was like, this is really inspiring. Please say more, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and he said, honestly, it's because we, we put them off. You know, we think when I retire, when the kids get out of the house, when mm -hmm. I do this, that, and the other thing, when the renovations done, whatever it is that your big project is du jour, then I'll be able to go to the, the girls weekend or, you know, for him was golf more with my brother. And, you know, then I'll be able to do those things, but I got to get all this shit done first. And then he's diagnosed with terminal cancer and his time that he thought was going to be in at least another decade plus of enjoying himself meant it was like a year, two years of a lot of pain. Um, and he said, you got to make your golden years now, love. You have to find those golden moments throughout each and every day. They don't have to be these big, you know, 
it's it doesn't have to be like a Cecil D B what you don't big production theatrical production but like can you find these little moments every, each and every day and that's been the greatest lesson for me I mean it's one of the things that I take from the experience of really spending a lot of time with him um and and I use it as my own compass now of how can I make more golden moments throughout the course of my life and not try to save them all up for some mythical time when my ducks are in a row, because if they're my ducks, they don't want to be in a row. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. I have uh, tried to herd ducks and cats, feral cats more than a few times in my life. And it's a futile process. So I totally appreciate that. <laughs> I think that's a beautiful way to end our conversation. It's been so delightful and honestly, more than I could have hoped for. I was really nervous and anxious and excited to meet you, but it's been absolutely lovely. So thank you again from the bottom of my heart for spending so much time with me and sharing your incredible story with the, us in the audience. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank absolutely. you so much.